Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. This week, we are highlighting our staff here at NMCADV. Zane Stevens, our Chief Operating Officer, is here to talk to us about his role, what brought him to the work, and what he believes would make a difference for both our programs and survivors of domestic violence. Well, thank you, Zane, so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk about you and about your role with the coalition and just get to know you a little bit better. So first of all, I just want to ask you just a little bit about who you are and what your role is with the coalition and what that role does. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to hang out with you today and talk about what I do. For all of you out in radio land, I'm Zane Stevens. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And I've been with the coalition a little over a year. And really my job and what I do in my mind is trying to find ways to make things run more smoothly, whether it's processes or equipment or brainstorming ideas about ways that staff's jobs could be easier. Like what can we do to, what can I do to support them? What can we put in place to support them to make their jobs easier, smoother, more efficient? And sometimes that also means taking care of the stuff in the background, right? Like, is there a copy paper in the copy machine? And like, do we have a copy machine? And, uh, you know, who, who do we call when we need to fix it? You know, I think all of those things are also part of operations work. And some of what I do is the financial end of it. So making sure that our invoices and our money comes in and goes out the way that it's supposed to, to make sure that there aren't any hiccups with any of the day-to-day stuff at the coalition. So that's some of what I think I do. So I'm curious, why did you decide to start working for the coalition? What brought you to us? Yeah, so I've been in nonprofit work for, oh, I'm going to date myself probably, let's see, probably like probably 15 years now or so. And I was leaving an organization that I founded and I guess helped run for a very long time. And I was looking for something different. I was looking for a place where I thought my skills could be useful. And I think it was just sort of fate. (laughs) The job opening at the coalition was available and it looked like the skills and things that I could do. And I thought, well, that seems like a great place to go. So, So I did. So it's a little bit different. I went from doing direct service work to really supporting an organization and staff that are helping the folks that do the direct service work. So that's a little bit different. But because I did direct service work, I think I had a good idea of what staff were kind of up against and and maybe some ideas about how the work that I do could impact their day-to-day jobs, you know, and remove some, hopefully some things that make it difficult and also just get to know folks, you know, in a different way. So that's just sort of how I landed where I did. So could you tell us a little bit about the program that you co-founded and all the work that you did there? Sure. So I co-founded and co-directed the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico, which is a nonprofit based in Albuquerque, but is a statewide organization. And really, I think there's a lot of things that the organization does as a whole, but the pieces of it that I was most responsible for was some of the direct service work. So running and operating a drop-in facility that was open five days a week with COVID and all the changes is now, I think, open three days a week and really providing really kind of immediate need direct services for folks who 
who are transgender, gender nonconforming, or non-binary, any anybody that needs services that might fit under that bigger umbrella of being transgender. And that could be anything from like food that day or clothing or name change paperwork or you know, peer support or whatever it may have been, right? The services were pretty wide because folks really needed a lot of things. A lot of the people that we were serving are, I think, some of the most marginalized folks we could talk about in any of our communities. So folks who are don't always have a place to stay, some who are engaging in street economies to get by, some who don't have family support or any kind of other support in their lives for just day-to-day things. And so I think we just tried to fill the gaps with what we could. Through the course of time, of course, the center moved two or three times. Resources got bigger. The staff got bigger. The services were broadened a little bit. A thrift store was opened. You know, some job skill building programs were piloted, like all kinds of things happened. But a, another big piece of it was education. So the other co-director, Adrian Lawyer, who many people probably listening to this will know, has done education for all of that period of time as well, and really expanding access to other services and mainstream providers for trans folks because they were able to be educated and be like, oh, this isn't such a big thing. We can do this. You know, we can figure out how to navigate intake paperwork, pronouns, people's names, records, whatever it may be with a little bit of help and guidance. And so, you know, the piece of the work that, you know, he was doing was obviously just as critical. It just wasn't my day-to-day part of it, but it was definitely a huge part of what the center has done and continues to do for folks. Is there anything else that you'd like to include about your background there? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's sort of where I've learned some of my greatest life lessons, right? I think the center, the folks, my co-director, I I can't imagine that period of my life without that. And also, like, I think those were the places that I grew the most, right? The reason why I think I'm pretty good human being today is really because of that place. Yeah. That's definitely what I what I would say. And and there are days I still miss it, right? People are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you left. But but it was important for me to to move on to whatever came next for me, but also because the center has a solid foundation and it can stand on its feet without me. And I think that's also really important. So I am curious, what do you think is the most important aspect of your job currently? I think it'd be interesting to see what other staff members think, but I think that the most important part of my job is that it's if everything is running smoothly and I'm doing the work I'm supposed to be doing well, managing the in and out of money, managing, you know, some of the details of making sure that we are reporting properly to our funders, returning in the right paperwork, you know, all of those types of things. If all of that is running smoothly, and for the most part of the operations part of the work that we do is running smoothly, like people have computers that work and have forms that they need or, you know, all of that have stamps, whatever it may be. If all of that is running smoothly, then no one really even knows what I'm doing, right? If it's all running really well, then everything is just running really well. And I think that is the important part about the work that I do. I think if I'm doing a good job, you don't really know I'm doing a good job because the work is just happening, right? If I'm doing a terrible job though, believe you me, everyone would know right? Because then stuff is a mess and no one has what they need and there are no stamps and no one has a computer and no one can figure out why the copy machine is broken or whatever it is, right? And so I think it's interesting in operations work and administrative work when things are smooth. You know, I, I, I get a lot of kudos from the staff I work with. So so I don't want it to sound like that. They're all amazing and, and they all appreciate the work. But if it's running smooth, you shouldn't really notice. 
And that is sort of what I'm always hoping for is that everything is just bumping along like it's supposed to. And when there is a hiccup or something, then it hopefully gets resolved relatively quickly and you just can continue forward, you know? So I think that's sort of the most important part. Yeah, it kind of made me think about the concept of like the invisible work that happens in a household. And I think that is the goal, right? Administrative work for those of us who do it, you know, you have to really love it because it's not always smooth. But, you know, I think it really is important to me. That is my love language. I want to be able to help people and I want to be able to do that in whatever ways that may be. It may have been in more direct service in the past, but now I feel like this is how I do that. And I'm lucky I sometimes get to mentor or coach other staff or, or brainstorm with other staff or work with colleagues. And, and I like that part of the work too. You know, we all have some really great ideas. And if we can talk about the things and really have open, honest communication about the things that are not going well or the things we don't really like about our jobs, then I think sometimes you can find a solution to make those things less of a burden or less yucky. Right. Because we all have parts of our jobs, me included, where I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that. But if I can find a way to make it a little more efficient or smoother or not as awful, then I think that really can impact people. And I think I think in some places we don't always do that very well. Right. We're scared to say like, oh, I really don't like blah, 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 because we're afraid we'll get in trouble or someone won't like it or, or whatever. And I think the more we can really just have those even tough conversations And I think in the end, there's always a resolution that people can come to together, even if it's about work processes or or something bigger than that, right? It really, I think, can always be resolved. And I, I hope that I also bring a piece of that to be able to just have an honest conversation. Like, yeah, that really does suck. That part of your job is not great. So is there a way we could do something else? Could we make it better somehow? Sometimes the answer is we can't. But sometimes we can. And sometimes that means you got to bring extra chocolates in that day. I was going to say, person. sometimes the answer is donuts. <laughs> <laughs> right? Sometimes the answer is donuts. The answer is always donuts if you're working with me. But sometimes you have to know what that is too. I can't make that better for you, but I can support you. I can make you feel like you're not doing it alone. I can even commiserate with you when it isn't fun. And I can bring you treats if that's what you need to make it better or whatever that is, right? An extra cup of coffee or or whatever may be for that person. You know, everyone has different ways to do that. So what is something that you're really proud of or excited about right now that is happening at our coalition? I think that's a really good question. I think the coalition at this moment is undergoing some pretty interesting changes. You know, like in any place, there's been some staffing changes and staff moving around and roles changing. And I think that is always interesting and exciting. It it can be difficult and it can be hard sometimes. Change isn't always easy. I think there's some really amazing things on the horizon for the coalition. I just feel that way. I can't articulate what those are, but I, I know that they're coming. And I think it's just really exciting to see how the staff are really excited about the work that they're doing really trying to look forward and think like, well, what if we do this? Or what if we tried that? Or maybe we haven't done this, or or maybe we should start a podcast, right? Whatever that is, like the new things that I think are really exciting. And I think the way that I see folks interacting, and it can be hard in a hybrid environment. Some of us are in real life and some of us aren't. Some of us will always be remote, COVID or not. The coalition has always had remote folks. And so I think watching people really engage in those ways and learning to have fun with it, and something I really love, which is something that you do, is that in staff meetings, we always have an icebreaker. And I love those moments in staff meetings because we always get to learn something new about someone. Even if it's just something silly like your favorite color or your favorite treat, everyone knows mine or donuts. Or like 
your favorite outfit when you were a kid or your favorite movie or whatever it is. Like, I think, I think those are the things that working in a remote environment or working in a hybrid environment, we sometimes miss out on. So I'm always, I'm really excited and proud that I see those things happening and continue to be important at the coalition. The other things that I think are really exciting about the coalition is there is room for people, I think, to be uh, independent in certain ways and still work together in certain ways. So like not work in silos, but be able to be independent and have ideas and do their thing. And also then figure out how those pieces fit with your colleagues. I don't think that always happens in, in all places. And so I just think that's really cool. And I think it's something that is exciting. Well, I'm glad you enjoy the icebreakers. <laughs> <laughs> I always do. They're my favorite part. We did our values all together as a team. And one of our values is fun. And so it was like, all right, how are we going to inject fun? Adding a silly icebreaker. So I'm really glad that we're doing that. It's been really fun to get to know you and, and the team that way. So I'm curious, what part of your work are you most passionate about? Ooh, that's tricky. I think I am an operations person by nature, <laughs> which is probably what makes me, I think, pretty good at my job. And so I think that sort of work as a whole is something I'm really passionate about. I can't help but think that way. I've had to learn to not always be the fixer though. So let's be real. My inclination is to be like, let's fix it. And sometimes the answer is saying you need to hush and listen and not fix it. And that's a lesson I have learned and continue to practice. But really, I, I love problem solving. I'm a problem solver by nature and the problem solving part of what I do, whether it's something simple, like why aren't our trashes being emptied or whether it's something a little more complicated, like how are we going to budget for this, this funding and how are we going to make it work and who can we hire and what do we do and what does that project look like and how does that impact our member programs? You know, that's way more complicated than the trash, but both to me are just different problems to solve. And so I think the problem solving is what I'm most passionate about, but I also really appreciate the continued lesson of learning that I don't have to always fix it. That it's not always up to me. And that sometimes I can just play a supporting role for someone else to navigate a situation on their own. If you could make one change for survivors in New Mexico, what would it be? That's a really tough one. I think that I think I would want survivors, like all kinds of survivors, all survivors to know that there there are resources out there for them. I know it seems like that should be like, well, isn't that what all our member programs do? Yes. Absolutely. And they do it brilliantly. And that's a lot of hard work and they're doing it. But I think there's a lot of folks who are experiencing violence who still don't really know that there could be a place for them to land or a place for them to get support. And I think especially when we talk about mar marginalized folks, LGBTQ folks, trans folks, folks of color who may also have some of those other identifying kind of labels in their lives, possibly, it's really hard. I think that it becomes even harder for you to believe that someone's going to take care of you and it can be really hard to access services. So I think if obviously if I had a magic wand, there wouldn't be violence for people to navigate that way. But I think we all know the reality is, is that those things in life are not going to go away. And so I would really want that to change the fact that really people would really believe, truly, truly believe that there was help out there for them and be able to access it. And I think there is, there is a lot of amazing work being done, but I think there's, there's always some folks who just feel like that doesn't mean them, that doesn't include them. So now if you could change one thing for our programs in New Mexico, what would you like that to be? 
You know, coming from a lot of life experience of starting a nonprofit without any nonprofit experience, mind you, maybe wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. But I think that it would be that the programs would have to struggle less. I think oftentimes there's just, it feels like there's never enough. There's never enough staff. There's never enough money. There's never enough resources. There's never enough fill in the blank, right? Whatever that is. I think that is true in a lot of nonprofit sectors. I think that's definitely true in domestic violence work. And I don't know how we change that exactly, but I think there are, in the world as a whole, there are enough resources and there are enough amazing people to be staff and there will be enough money. And it's a matter of how do we change the culture of that work? And I don't know how we do that. I think it's really difficult because when you're running 100 miles an hour running a program or being part of a program as a staff member, you can't pick your head up high enough sometimes to think about how to change a whole sector of of business, right? And so I think if I could lessen that stress on on programs somehow and that feeling of like there's never enough and we're just running a million miles an hour and and they're all doing amazing work. But even then you're going so fast you can't always realize that. I wish there was a way to change that dynamic where programs felt stable and solid and secure and could focus on the work that they're doing without so much of that like struggle and angst, you know? And I'm not sure there's a way to do that because of the way nonprofit funding works. It's, I think a lot of where it starts is at a higher level than the program, right? It's about the way things get funded and the way money works and stuff like that. And so I don't know that there's a good answer, but I I wish there could be a way for people to really just be able to engage in the, the work that they're doing and the programs they're a part of and not have to have that kind of constant struggle because it really wears on people. It's hard on folks. So I would love to know, what do you think is the single most important step to creating a community without domestic violence? Like what, in your opinion, is that step that could be taken? In the experiences that I've had and the folks that I've talked to and the work that I've done, often the defining factor or the one moment in time that affects people's lives in ways that impacts them as adults or even as young people, even as children, often happens when they're children. And so I think the single most important step for me would be for children to have supportive environments, loving environments that were right for them when they're little, right? Because often that's where we all get derailed. That's where stuff happens. And and we don't always know it's happening. We can't always identify it or see it. Sometimes we can because it's like severe violence or neglect or harm. Sometimes we don't know it's happening, but it is stuff that is inside of us that gets absorbed, that we get taught, that, you know, that becomes part of who we are and it shows up later. And I think sometimes it shows up in harmful ways against other people. And sometimes it shows up because we engage with people who cause us harm because it's what we know. And if I could change one thing, it would be that. And sometimes I think we we may even know that what we're doing isn't okay, but we don't know how to stop it. We don't know how to change it. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know why it's inside of us and why it comes out the way it does. Like we don't always know. And so, you know, I grew up with a father who was very violent at times, not a, not with me, but with partners he had or things in the moment. And 
he was able to grow out of that, to learn from it, to change his behaviors, right? To do the work, but it still has a lasting effect, you know, on the people who are around him, including myself and sir, right? All, anybody who's a parent, like we do things <laughs> or anybody, any adult who's raising children, it, you don't even have to be their parent. There's lots of people raising children, you know, and they, they got their families are built in lots of different ways. And so anybody who's raising young people or helping raise young people, we don't always, we don't always know that we're making a mess and until we made a mess, even if it's not violent, right? And so I just think the more that we can try to learn and the more young people can learn and and people who are raising people for the first time can learn to be like, oh, sure, like we can do this differently. Like I don't have, I maybe we could think about this or talk about it or have a conversation or be around folks who, who will help us have those conversations about how we support young people, how we raise young people. What do those values look like? How do we instill them? What do we believe in, right? As a young parent myself, I I couldn't answer those questions when I was in my early 20s. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I think I got lucky in a lot of ways, but I didn't, I didn't have people around me for a lot of years who could help me kind of figure that stuff out. And the more, the more I work and the older I get, I realize that if young people can be in a supportive, loving environment that works for them right? That's the right kind of environment for them. Cause I could think it's one thing and it could be something else. Then I think that's what changes it. And I think that would start starts to change the harm and violence we cause to each other. If we have a better shot at starting out in a better environment. Well, my last question is because we're in the domestic violence field, it can be tough. What is the ways that you take care of yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I have spent the last year or so that I've been at the coalition trying to figure that out. I don't know that I've always done a good job of it. Um, the wellness hours that we're given as staff members are amazing, an amazing benefit to really feel like you do have the flexibility to, to go to a doctor's appointment, to take a walk outside, to really do the things that make you feel good. I haven't always known what those are, but I spend a fair amount of time in the gym. I go to a little strongman gym here in Albuquerque, and that has changed my whole life. I started during COVID and, and not too long after I think I started the coalition, I started to go regularly. And, you know, I get to be around people who I love and care about and are part of my communities. And that's really been helpful to me. And also I found a hobby, you know, I do some inlay work and do some jewelry work and rings mostly, uh, and I'm self-taught. And so I'm, I'm always interested about learning things or reading things or trying new, new materials or techniques or whatever. I think those are the ways I do that. I'm learning to have a hobby. I'm going to date myself again. I'll just say it like I'm going to be 45 this year. And I didn't have a hobby until about two years ago. It doesn't seem like like the right ratio of time to have a hobby, right? But I have one and I'm grateful for it. And, you know, I think really valuing the time that I have and the work that I've done is important to me, but also um, spending time with folks, right? I like to try to make a coffee date with people I haven't seen in a while or have a lunch date with someone I haven't seen in a long time or, you know, cocktail hour after work or whatever it may be. I really, I'm really working hard to make sure I don't lose those connections with folks who I truly love and care about, who I don't always get to work with on a day-to-day basis anymore. And that rejuvenates me. That's part of the ways that I take care of myself is spending time with folks who, who I really love and enjoy being around. 
Yeah, it was it was all I could do to not be like, well, Zane is the strongest man. I saw your video <laughs> with the, it was a keg? A crazy keg. Yeah, it's it a beer a, keg. A full keg? It, well, so they see, that's the thing is they put sand in them. So it's an empty beer keg that's then been filled with sand to be a specific weight. Ah, so, okay. so, so there's lots of different choices in our gym. We have a 35-pound keg that's empty and like a 75-pound keg. But that keg in that particular video is a 200-pound keg. So it has sand in it to make it that heavy, which is yeah. like picking up a me. It's like me inside a keg. It's a lot. <laughs> I, I could not do that. It would. Be- I'm not even the strongest person at the gym. Like there's some folks that I work out with that. Wow. Like a lot of the women that I work out with and some non-binary folks and a few men like it. I'm amazed at the stuff that they can pick up. I'm always struggling to keep up and to, to be part of the crew, but I'm really glad for it. <laughs> that sounds so wonderful. Well, Zane, is there anything else that you'd like to mention or talk about before we sign off today? Yeah, I don't think so. I just really appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation. And, you know, the thing that that we often talk about when we're talking about taking care of ourselves, we often talk about self-care. And the thing that I always try to say is like, I don't know how to do that by myself. And I always call it community care because sometimes I need someone to help me. I need a colleague, a coworker, a buddy, a friend, a partner, whoever may be in that, that period of time. To just remind me to, hey, did you take a walk today? Hey, did you get lunch today? Hey, have you taken a break in a while? Have you been out of your desk to stretch your legs? Did you eat some vegetables? Whatever it may be, right? Like, And so I think the more that we can do that for each other in whatever ways we can are really important because a lot of us are not raised to take care of ourselves. And I think in the work that we do and all our programs and the amazing work that they're doing and the staff of the coalition, the more we can help each other out, the better we're all before it, you know? So if you can add community care to your list, I would sure encourage you to find a colleague and be like, hey, let's go take a 15 minute walk outside and get some fresh air, you know? Yes, I think we do live in a culture where that is not, it's becoming more normal, but the norm used to be you you work yourself really, 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 really hard and you don't stop. (laughs) That doesn't work. mm -hmm. People burn up and burn out and that... That can't be the culture we're continuing to perpetuate because people won't survive. There won't be people to staff programs. There there will be a shortage of awesome human beings in the world because we've run ourselves into the ground. And I can honestly say, yeah, sure. I, I have been part of that culture. I've done it. I've worked a bazillion hours a week and thought I was doing all the right good things. And maybe I was for me in that moment. But the thing I really want to encourage folks to do now is like try to switch it up, right? We have to live a long time. We have a lot of amazing work to do and we can't do it if we burn ourselves up or you know compromise ourselves or our own mental health or our own physical abilities because we couldn't we couldn't find a way out of that. And so I think it's just important to just help each other out, you know, no shade, you know, we don't have to shame each other or throw any shade. All we have to do is be like, hey, have you like did you get water today? Did you remember to pack your lunch? Oh, I'll get an extra sandwich, whatever, right? Like I just think the ways we can do that for each other really can make a difference in the longevity of all the amazing work that we all do. And it's hard as a program, you may be short staffed and you feel like, well, we don't have time to do that. And even if it's five or 10 minutes, it can make a huge difference. Even if you have to brainstorm or think out of the box ways or close one day a little early or one day a month, the office is closed altogether so the staff can have a break or whatever creative idea you have, it can really make a big impact. Even when you feel like you can't, even when you feel like there's not enough staff to do it, it's still super important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Zane, before we get going? I don't think so. I think that's all. I just really appreciate the time and the opportunity to to talk about the kind of work that I do and and the impact that I think it makes.
Yeah, well, I just want to say thank you, and I hope that every one of our organizations has a Zane, um, (laughs) because they deserve it. They deserve to have somebody to work on all the operations things and make their lives easier so they can keep doing the work that they do. And so, yeah, thank you for all of the work that you do, and thank you for talking with me today. You know, I really do hope that it's an example of what is possible for other organizations to have somebody you know, of your caliber, figuring stuff out. So. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I'm always happy to help brainstorm. So if anybody needs help, I'm around. Okay. You heard it. You know what his email (laughs) is? (laughs) All right. Well, thanks Zane. And that's it. We're done. Yay. We did it. (laughs) We did it. I was a little nervous. You were good at that. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.